When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. My guest today may be the youngest individual I've invited to have a conversation with me on the Soft as Steel podcast, a millennial. David Dallinger earned a BS in engineering science mechanical, followed by completing two internships with Zachary Group and Texas Scenic Company, beginning in 2017 and ending in 2019. His first full-time job was as an area director for Toastmasters. Now, what does that have to do with the construction industry? Hmm. Answer? Actually, a lot. In July 2019, he joined Zachary Group full-time, where he was has progressed through a series of positions, most recently in the role of commercial management engineering. Now, here's where it gets interesting, and a principal reason for my interest in having Daniel on the Soft as Steel podcast. In 2019, Daniel launched a podcast series, Engineering Success, and a website for aspiring and current engineering students and young professionals seeking to maximize their academic and professional success. In the words of his website, where he says, our mission is to provide high-quality, actionable advice and resources that help students reach their goals. He says in very clear terms, if you're looking for advice and guidance on how to achieve success as an engineering student, you've come to the right place. Daniel, welcome to the Softest Steel podcast. Thanks, Dennis. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> so, yeah, I almost want to say to you, Daniel, what question should I ask you? But I won't vest that that uh, control in you yet. But I am enthusiastically pleased to have found you through the process of digging up live and dead people out of, off of LinkedIn. I'm, I'm not sure which, but here we are. I thought it was important for me to get you into the stream of the conversations here on this podcast. You know, I talk about a lot of different things. You've done a little bit of research on me. You know, I talk about soft skills, about people, about generations, about women issues and inclusion and social justice, all those things which I think are vital to be talked about. And one of the things which is a big topic of conversation is uh, along two lines. One, the notion of what I call the generational friction that exists in the industry. And the other is at the front end, a principal part of your audience, and that is the students coming out of engineering programs and other degree programs, principally engineering, and going places other than the construction industry. What are you learning from your podcast about the why uh, and maybe also about the what do we do about it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that really more than any other generation 
that I've observed, maybe this is me speaking too highly of my generation, but I feel like <laughs> people in my generation, more than any other generation, want to work for a company and work in an industry that they feel personally connected to. For example, for me, I feel very passionate about the energy transition and improving the environment. So I work for a company that implements solutions to help improve the environment. Now, it might not seem that way on the front end whenever people look at it oh, you're a construction company building chemical facilities. Yeah, we're also optimizing chemical facilities and we're building new facilities. So I think that the reason why you see engineers coming out of school and going into many different industries is because those are the industries that they are passionate about. Those are the things that they are most interested in. And that's why I think you see them going in a bunch of different directions now. So what have you learned about what we can do to try to change that? Well, I think you have to communicate the vision that you have in a manner that is relevant to those young students that are coming out of school. For example, I kind of hit on one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Is construction is when a lot of people in school think about construction, they think about big construction equipment emitting large amounts of gas and building new chemical industrial facilities and all the buzzwords that you hear around industrial facilities. But whenever you talk about what a lot of the things that we're doing is, well, we're building the better infrastructure for your life. We are providing the structure in which you are able to go about your everyday things. And also we are meeting all the needs that you need in the most efficient way and the best way possible for you for the future. I think that when you make those connections that relate to the personal goals that people in our generation have, that's how you can really draw people into your companies and into the construction industry, because it's really cool. I, whenever I came out of school, when I, when I went into school, uh, I just, it never was on my radar, but when I started working and interning for a construction company and started realizing all the different things that they were considering, mm -hmm. um, you know, OSHA, OSHA, FERC, uh, a bunch of different buzzwords, but realizing that the construction, construction industry cares about people, cares about safety, cares about the environment, cares about the future, cares about doing things sustainable, sustainably. That's when I realized, oh my goodness, I can really be part of building a really cool future for the next generation and it, building things that I can be proud of. Uh, and that's why I ended up going into the construction industry. And I, why well, I hope other people kind of end up going in this way. Hmm. Do you get a lot of, uh, a lot of questions or dialogue from, from your listeners, uh, to, uh, asking, basically asking the question, you know, why should I pursue construction? You know, is that, is that an area of question from folks? It's not an, a massive area of, of questions from people in my audience, mm -hmm. but one thing I do do is I spend a lot of time talking to students that are attending the university that I graduated from, which is Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. And I say the name of it because it's a, a liberal arts school. And uh, the, the focus that a lot of the students have in that, they, a lot of them want to go to grad school, they want to go get their master's, and they want to do work for big name tech companies or mm -hmm. companies that manufacture consumer products that, you know, th th you know, they come in and they want to work for Tesla mm -hmm. and, and they say, well, why do you, why do you work for a construction company? And, and why would I want to work for a construction company? And I'd say, well, 
more so than any other industry, you'll see that you're going to have a level of versatility in your career development and in your growth that you won't see in other industries. Construction just lends itself so well to pivoting to do many different things. You can come in and you, you go out into the field and you you start in project controls and and you have you can start in change, change management or you can be a planner or you can work in scheduling or you can work in cost. You need engineers doing all of those things. At least I say that engineers do a really good job at doing all those things. You don't necessarily need engineers, but they're really good at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and really, very quickly, you can make an actionable impact and see some really quick growth in your career um, whenever you're shown the opportunity to grow in construction. So why construction? Because you're building the future and you also have a really good opportunity to develop versatile skills to grow your own career. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, what about the trades? You know, everything you're talking about would be in a, in a grouping of things that I would call the traditional professional positions. Uh, the yeah. ones that the, that the prerequisites for it include some kind of, some kind of academic preparation or degree. What about, what about the trades? I say the trades are, are vitally important. And I, I don't know if people realize how lucrative the the trades are, especially whenever you're talking about somebody that is willing to to travel mm-hmm. uh, very early on in your career with minimal debt, you can find yourself actually with no debt. You can go start in the construction industry. You can work in the field as a helper and you can work your way up. And many companies have trade programs where they'll train you. And, and then within five, 10 years of your career, you're a journeyman that's earning per diem. You've traveled around for a while and you're making more money than the engineers back in the office. Mm-hmm. You might be working harder hours. You might be working in more exotic locations, <laughs> but it's a very, it's, it's a life well lived. You, you can have a really good quality of life and you can experience a lot of really cool experiences in cool cities. And, uh, you didn't have to take any debt to do it. And it's a, a great career. I really enjoyed working out in the field. I, whenever I got on my last project, I got there whenever we were doing uh, soil stabilization and, and a lot of dirt work. And I got to really know the civil superintendents really well and uh, still know still, still know them by name. And I was involved in helping planning activities with them. And it, it was just such a, a really cool interaction seeing the, the engineers that came up through school that, that, that kind of knew what they were doing, but they, they were there to to provide the engineers input, but then the conversation was really being led by the superintendents because mm-hmm. they were the ones that had all the experience and the knowledge and they were the ones that were doing it. And, and engineers were really, were just there enabling them to, to, to build the thing that we want to build. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I really appreciate the, the knowledge, the level of education from doing things that the people in the trades have. And, and we need people in trades. So if you're thinking about going that route, uh, it's a great way to go. And, and you should really consider doing it because it's a much less of an investment financially from you. And you can in- initially start seeing those returns pretty quick. I highly recommend it. I think we just created some sound bites that uh, I'll be able to market to all the building trades unions. Um, oh, I hope so. Yeah. Tell them all about me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, because the way you, uh, your your thoughts are right on target, um, and uh, uh, it's you know it's refreshing uh, to hear uh, a young person uh, talk uh, with equal uh, energy and interest and 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 specificity uh, about the let's call it again the office side of the construction business, but also the field side, and you zeroed yeah. right in probably uh, you know again. Uh, 
uh, as you know, I've been around construction for quite a while myself, and uh, and just the, just the notion of of how how an engineer is viewed uh, on a day to day operational basis on a construction site versus a superintendent, particularly an, a a, a, a senior superintendent or a general superintendent. Uh, you know, they're they're in charge in many many ways informally, uh, and they know uh, what those plans and drawings uh, need to be, even if they're not 100% accurate. And again, did you learn some things about uh, some of the age-old uh, concerns with regarding uh, the completeness or accuracy of things like a scope of work, uh, a drawing, a shop drawing? A, a, uh, again, I hate to say it out loud, but we continue to refer to uh, to the principal drawings of a, of a job site or on a job as blueprints. Uh, and yeah. you probably never, you probably have never seen a blueprint. If you have, you, you specifically, young man, have seen it in a museum someplace. Uh, certainly not in a job site trailer. Um, yeah. Well, I've seen my fair share of ISOs and plot plans, so I've seen some stuff. Yeah, and yeah. and and yes, they still want it printed out. And you know, one of my responsibilities on this project was as I I led the discipline constraint meetings. We we use we do advanced work packaging. And so we're, we're meeting with our, our superintendents and our engineers and, and we're having meetings out in the field and we're, we're looking at the packages that we need to install out in the field upcoming. And, and exactly, that's exactly what you, what you, what you hit on. Uh, The superintendents are very in the middle of making sure that they have a complete scope of work. Mm -hmm. And uh, the planners are very central, central to that. We have, uh, what we do is we pair our superintendents up with a, a planner. And usually that planner is somebody that maybe went to engineering school or construction management school. So you have a, somebody that has 20 plus years of experience um, of installing the things and seeing the things go in. And you have a young person that has all the technological background that's pulling it all together for them and, and chasing down to make sure we have materials on site, making sure we have a good understanding of the scope. But this, the core of that conversation is not only do we have all of our constraints clear, do we have our material on site? Do we have all the drawings we need? Do we have all the permits filed? But is the scope of work understood? Mm-hmm. And and like you said, that 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 is the central thing uh, to progress out in the field is understanding our scope of work. And then it also feeds the beast of change management and change orders because we do need to have a good understanding of our scope of work. Otherwise, you're, you're opening yourself up to changes in scope later and then you get bat- in battles with your client. And you're, you're slowing down your progress out in the field and you're also slowing down your progress on invoices on the back end. So, yeah, it's, it's really important to have a really good understanding of your scope of work. Well, it's very clear to me that you have no clue what you're talking about. Uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> that was, as, uh, listeners, that was a joke. That was humor. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm astounded. I, I, and I just, it's, it's, uh, it's so pleasing to me. And I know, I know there are more Daniels out there. Um, I don't know if there are enough of them. Uh, that's, that's, that's probably my biggest concern as I sit here, uh, you know, as almost aged out of the, uh, the boomer uh, age range. Uh, and I look back at someone like you, just just about on, on the edge of millennial, but still very much millennial. Um, those are the two generations that that uh, that we have this principle that I call friction. In fact, I, I'm, I don't know even if it's a term that's been used anywhere. I, I may have just created a new term, but I think it's kind of descriptive. Um, you know, and and what it, you know, to me what it speaks to is. Uh, it, you're, you're clearly displaying that by virtue of being, uh, for lack of a better term, hands-on, boots on the ground, uh, on a construction job site, all that you learned by being on that job site um, 
uh, and you take that along with what you learn in terms of your academic preparation, uh, and it puts you in a position uh, to be, you know, to be a very valuable resource if, uh, if not rejected simply based on your age. Uh, again, one of, the, one of the models that's in place in the construction industry, which has worked well in many regards, uh, is, you know, is expressed with the, uh, with the initials OJT, uh, on-job training. Uh, you know, the apprenticeship programs that uh, the unions that you would, would have been exposed to and the jobs you were involved in, if they were union jobs, um, you know, would have been various trades. They all have apprenticeship programs. And that simply means that they found someone, maybe somebody coming out of high school, and hopefully more and more of those, or maybe somebody coming out of another degree program, or maybe somebody coming out of the military, or maybe even someone coming out of a prison system uh, that yeah. that, that, can, that enters into an apprenticeship program, and all they need to get into that program is to demonstrate some basic understandings and knowledge and abilities to get to say that you'd be able to function in an apprenticeship program. Uh, but then beyond that, uh, uh, what they get is uh, is an opportunity to be employed. Uh, by a, a signatory contractor, uh, and then enrolled in an apprenticeship program, and the process begins, uh, and, and it extends over a period of years. You know, while they're earning and learning together, uh, making a living, as you pointed out. And again, I, I appreciate and I compliment you on identifying just in, you know, in a very practical way uh, wh- why uh, you know why the construction industry uh, has has a story that can be a good story. Uh, it's just that the, the challenge is, is having that story told by more and different kinds of people, including someone like you, uh, that represents uh, the generation uh, that is looking in a variety of directions uh, because they just didn't get someone to tell them something about construction that got them thinking, hmm, maybe this is a place where I could have a career, where I could make a decent living, et cetera, et cetera. Your, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I first of all thank you for for saying the the kind words uh, about me. I'd say though that I'm not the only one. The, the 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 nice thing is is that I got to work next to a bunch of young people um, on the project I worked on. We had probably a thousand indirect employees, and a lot of them were young people. Uh, especially in project controls, it's, it's a great way to come in uh, mm-hmm. to the industry. It, I, I'd say you don't need an engineering degree. You could get a construction management degree. There's a lot of different degrees you could have. And there's also tracks where people can come out of the field and, and find themselves into office jobs like that. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of young people out there. Uh, there need to be more for sure. Uh, I think that we definitely do need more. But the nice thing to know just to know is that there are young people out there, maybe just not enough yet, mm-hmm. but with the right of momentum, uh, we could definitely get more people coming out there. Yeah. And then as a whole, uh, yeah, we, 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 we would really benefit from young people. I think that I saw an article the other day that talked about how you have this max mass exodus from tech. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that got laid off from tech are now finding themselves into the construction industry. Mm. And we need that. I, I'd, I'd say that construction is very sophisticated in the sense that in many ways, it, like advanced work packaging, the models and stuff we do. But with the new infusion of talent, a bunch of young people, new people with new perspectives, new backgrounds, new ideas, we're only going to improve in a, as an industry. And you're going to see uh, better applications of new concepts like digital twins and better applications of 40 modeling and better understandings of how we can progress the job site and, and our productivity, you're going to see better metrics. You're going to see 
new strategies of execution that come from those metrics. And it's all because you're going to have new talent infused from young people and also new talent coming from other industries as well as they're realizing a construction is cool. And two construction is a very reliable industry. And you'll see that even in times where other industries may be lagging, the construction industry keeps on moving. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. During the time that you were doing your internship, uh, how were you, uh, what evidence were you seeing of, uh, I would call it legitimate uh, plans and efforts uh, to identify and integrate different technologies into the building process? Yeah, I think the biggest, so I came into the industry in 2018 and, and the biggest technology and buzzword thing that I was hearing at that point in time was AWP, Advanced Work Packaging, and just a way to build things more effectively and have a better understanding of how we're building things, uh, breaking our projects down into areas, breaking our installations into packages, and, and then rolling those things up in from one thing to another and, and how those all th- go together in the most efficient manner possible. That's definitely the, the biggest te- technology thing I've seen. Uh, another thing that I've seen is, now I haven't seen it implemented as much in the install and how we actually execute construction. But one thing I've seen a lot of is augmented reality and virtual reality. Mm-hmm. It, what we use it for now is we use it as part of our training programs. Before people come on site, they get to walk through a virtual model of where they're going to be on site. Mm-hmm. So that, that improves their awareness of where they're going to be. It helps them be safer. Uh, we've even seen technologies uh, where you can, if somebody's coming to a site and they're going to visit a specific thing, you can walk them through the module, the model before physically with a VR set or an AR set Mm -hmm. and you can walk them through the model before they then go out there. And then you can take AR and you can actually then look at what you're at and you can see the augmented reality. You see see the virtual meets the physical and you can see how things are actually going to be going up in the field in front of you. I think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, seeing how we implement those things has been really cool. It's, I don't think that technology is fully mature yet in the sense that we have a full understanding of how we want to use it. And and we see it maybe being offered as more of a boutique thing or an adder. It's not, de- it's not necessarily a core to the way that companies, at least I've seen, do their business, but it is definitely a cool technology and I'm excited to see how it gets implemented. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a great example of, uh, of, the, of why it's going to be so important. Uh, to uh, try to attract people that have, uh, if not direct uh, technical uh, credentialing uh, in those technologies, but uh, but generationally uh, have a much uh, a much uh, uh, a much more um, uh, a much quicker learning curve, uh, and also f- frankly just a willingness uh, to try to u- to learn new things and use new t- tools. Because I view augmented reality, VR, a lot of different things as being new tools to be used. Robotics uh, is another is another good example. Uh, yeah. And I think what comes comes into the industry uh, with the younger generation uh, is uh, an inclination uh, and a willingness to learn those things uh, and apply them. Uh, and the big challenge then becomes at that friction point where you're talking to this old geezer about, you know, we're going to use robotics for this. And I said, well, we do that. You know, Joe, you know, Joe and Charlie, are probably, they'll probably lay them off if we get that robot in here. We don't know freaking robots in here. Um, now, now I'm being a little uh, a little rude in a sense, but that it's probably not that far off. Uh, again, uh, change is already uh, something which is uh, not does not come easy to the construction industry. 
Yeah, you're right. But what I, and, I, and what I'll say to those people that are worried about Joe and Charlie is one recent advent in technology, I'd say, is the SPMT, which is it, it's a if you're not familiar, I'll describe it. Imagine a massive caterpillar that's crawling along, along your job site, moving a heavy piece of equipment mm-hmm. instead of having a crane that's carrying your piece of equipment and dangling it. And as it moves across site, instead, you have a stable dolly like platform that's electronically controlled that is moving your big module or moving your big piece of equipment throughout your job site safely Mm -hmm. and and that's what what i imagine that some people say well why would we need that we have cranes well now you're able to move your stuff more uh more efficiently safely and quicker Mm -hmm. and and you're able to build bigger modules you're able to employ more people in more locations because you can build large module pieces of components that go get installed and you can do prefabrication to an extent you've never been able to do before because previously you didn't have a way to efficiently move it throughout the job site so what i'd counter to those people is Yes, maybe some traditional roles will go away, but you'll see even more new roles for new people. You'll be able to do things safer. And um, Charlie and Joe will not only still have their jobs, but they'll be safer on the job. So that's why that's why, that's the counter I'd have to the concerns about technology in the industry. Yeah, well phrased, well phrased. Um, you know, it'd be fun to have a handful of uh, of, uh, of Daniels in a, in a conversation about some of the stuff we're talking about. Uh, we may chat about that uh, subsequently. Um, if you had the opportunity to, uh, and I'm going to kind of parse the industry a little bit, and again, there is there is construction overall, uh, but in terms of, uh, of the basic uh, labor structure, uh, there are you know two kinds of contractors, union contractors and, and open shop contractors. So a portion of, of the construction world is handled uh, through the offices of union unions and uh, and signatory contractors, uh, another chunk is handled by again open shop and and uh, with no union involved. Uh, if you had a chance to talk to, let's let's let's, uh, let, let's uh, press you and, and see what you can come up with. Let's say you had a chance to talk to the to the general president of one of the building trades unions, uh, and uh, and you had the opportunity to express to that individual, um, you know what you felt would be. Really important things to do in order to try to make uh, the industry more interesting to people like you. What would you say to that person? That's a great question. It's one that I've never really thought about before because I work for a company that's almost exclusively open shop, or as we describe, merit shop. Right. But what what I'd say is, if I were trying to attract young people. I would try to attract them through the benefit structure is one thing that I would try to attract them towards. For me, if you could ask me about the things that I care about the most about a company, I'd say, well, what's the leave program like? And and I know people in construction are like, what do you mean? What's the leave program like? I worked five tens or right. I worked 11 and threes. Yeah. I worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week. But but building an environment where you understand that you care about people and people feel cared about and recognizing that there is more to life than work, uh-huh. I, I think is the most important thing. So the first place I'd start with is paid parental leave. That's the first thing that I would start with is for men and for women, especially in an industry like construction, where you have it's predominantly male out in the field. 
uh, at least in the the trades roles is predominantly male coming up with a way to have a fair uh, family leave program it, i think that that would be a really good way and i understand that that's difficult especially if you if you work contracts or you you have people that move from company to company a lot uh, uh, or move from project to project a lot and you're, you maybe you're working project specific it may be more difficult to to work the mechanics of that out but if somebody could figure out a way to really show an opportunity for construction employees to have good work-life balance and, and assist them with family planning and assist them with being able to have that life outside of work. I think that's the most important thing that they could do and, and one thing that could make them really stand out and be very attractive to employees. Wow. I don't know if I'm surprised by that answer or expected that answer. Um, I do have a three-month-old, <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely sensitive in my life. And sure. I'll, I'll tell you that I worked out in the field whenever my child was first born, and I had a, a few weeks off is what I ended up taking. And we definitely appreciated the time that I was able to take off, and we definitely felt it yeah. really hard whenever I was working. And I was commuting two and a half hours a day, working at least 10 hours a day. I was gone for 14 hours a day. Yeah. And thankfully, I was in a position where I was, again, working in construction. You're making a pretty good living. So my wife was able to be home. Yeah. But that still was a lot of pressure on her. And I, I really would have appreciated the opportunity to spend more time. And I think a lot of people would appreciate that, too. Yeah. I don't think that's quite the reality throughout the construction industry yet, but I'm optimistic that we'll be able to catch up to other industries because yeah. that's something where we are behind. Yeah. Uh, you look at tech. You look at other industries and you might say, oh, well, they're laying people off now. Yes, right. they are. But that is one area where our industry just isn't quite in the same space as other industries. And I guess the obvious follow on thought is that if I were to ask someone who is even a Gen Xer and certainly a baby boomer, if I were to ask them a question about what would you say to this person is the most important thing they can do to make the industry more attractive, I don't think either the Xers or the boomers would say, work-life balance, family leave, that kind of thing. Am I by default saying that your thought, which I, I don't disagree with the sensibility of it, that that's aligned with the values of your generation? I would say it's aligned with my values. With my generation in general, I don't know. I talk to people. Some people don't even want to think about kids. Other people really are passionate about kids. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's not necessarily the parental leave itself. Mm -hmm. It's the the importance of being able to live a balanced life. Mm -hmm. I think that our generation is less... Now, some people are willing to do this, but more so than not, our generation is less willing to kind of have that phase in their life where they're just grinding and having a kind of a miserable life outside of work just for the long-term gain. And I don't say that to disparage my generation in general. I think that it's just a mentality of... We understand that there is sacrifice now for long time gain. There is a bigger picture, mm -hmm. but also the bigger picture can include making now better. It doesn't have to be this way, even though it's always been this way, where when you're in your 20s and in your 30s and your career, things are just difficult. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Yeah. And you see a lot of industries where it isn't that way. So it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Well, guess what? Oh, no. Yes. Our time is up. I would love to continue to talk with you, and I will find a way to do so. But I'm delighted to have had this conversation. And I can almost tell you without any fear of contradiction that some very interesting and important people will hear this conversation. They need to hear 
what this millennial has to say, because your sensibility, your wisdom, your enthusiasm, all those qualities come shining through. And you said some really, really valuable things that need to be heard by the senior leadership of organizations, whether they're union, non-union, whether the unions themselves. And I'm going to make sure that happens. Thank you, Dennis. I really appreciate you having me on. I really appreciate the mission that you have with this podcast. I think that all the values that you talked about at the beginning of your podcast are extremely, extremely important. And it's important that we reflect on these things and, and try to grow in these areas of our own careers and in our businesses as well. And I think you're doing a great job of helping lead the charge. So thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Daniel. And by the way, your first name is my middle name. So again, at least part of my name is the same. Daniel, thank you so much and enjoy your weekend and let the dogs back in and take care of your baby. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Soft as Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.